Good morning, everybody. I am really thankful to be able to be here this morning and uh, share a little bit uh, from God's Word with you. Before we do that, though, let's, uh, let's just open in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to calm our hearts before you. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you continuously love us and and work in us. Despite our flaws, despite our failings, Lord, you are always good and you are always faithful. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you pour out on us. And Lord, I pray that you'll be honored this morning through the study of your word. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you guys have ever gotten up in the morning and you walk into the bathroom and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, Oh, no. Right? You have that cool realization like, I'm not really looking at the guy I really want to be right now. Right? Maybe we're, we're noticing like, oh, like I got to do something about like this. I'm aging here. Right? Maybe we've put on too much weight. We're like, I got to get skinnier. Maybe we're like, oh, I got to get stronger. Right? And so we think to ourselves, we resolve in our mind in that moment, in that mirror, that moment of clarity, I'm going to be better. And so we spend the next hour prepping ourselves, putting our makeup on, doing our hair, or not, I don't do that, not in my case. Um, <clears throat> but we spend that time like prepping and, and getting ourselves ready, and, we, and then we rush downstairs and we realize, oh my goodness, I'm going to be late for work or school. And, and so we, we, we like run around, we grab a Pop-Tart, because that's the breakfast of champions, right? We grab our coffee and we're out the door, right? We get to work or school, we sit at our desk, eight hours working on that hunch, right? We get done, we start heading home, and when we're on our drive home, we're like, you know what, that was such an exhausting day. I got so much left to do. I can't, I can't go to the gym today. So I just gotta get home. So we get home, have dinner, we settle in, right? Do our chores, now I'm exhausted. You know, I gotta treat myself, so I'm gonna sit down, I'm just gonna watch a movie. Like, just blow off some steam, right? With a movie, you gotta have some snacks. Right? So you bust out some Cheetos, maybe some Doritos, because your body is a temple. Right? And you watch a movie that goes a little bit too late, and you wake up in the morning, and you look at yourself in the mirror, and it's amazing the changes you've seen. Nah. Right? We all know that wouldn't be the case. We all know that if you want to see those changes, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some determination. You're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to change your schedule. You're going to have to come up with a workout routine, right? And we spend a lot of time in our culture and our society focusing on those aspects of our health. But this morning, I want to take a step back from that and ask, where does our spiritual health fall in there? Where does our faith fall in this? See, a lot of time as Christians, we tend to think of it as either you have faith or you don't have faith, right? We don't really see a whole lot of the in-between, but the reality is when we look at the Bible, it teaches a, has a very different picture of this idea of faith. It's something that can grow. It's something that we continuously work towards. If I was to, if I was to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I have a new workout plan, guys, three or four days a month, I'm going to go to the gym for 45 minutes, hour 15. I'm going, to, I'm going to be ripped, right? It's not how that works. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to Christianity. Sometimes we think, well, if I just go to church three or four times a month, 
my faith's going to be great. Guys, I have bad news for you. Showing up to church doesn't increase your faith three or four times a month. You have to at least go to the hymn sing. <laughs> Obviously, that's a ridiculous thing, right? Our faith is something that has to be practiced and lived out. God calls us into relationship with him. He wants us to have this, this trusting relationship with him, but it doesn't just happen. Right? To be sure, God gives us faith, but it's also on us to continue to cultivate and continue to grow in him. Now, I say all this because we're going to be taking a look this morning at Abraham. Now, Abraham is oftentimes viewed as one of the great heroes of faith in the Bible, but he wasn't always that way. It took growth. And there are times where even when he grows, he kind of steps back a little bit. But God continues to, to, to uh, just to show grace and mercy and, and bless him and, and has, has patience to grow him to be the man that God has called him to be. And so I want us to take courage, but I also want us to consider this question as we enter this study this morning. How is your faith? If I was to ask you, is your faith healthy? Is it growing? How would you answer that? Let's think about that as we study Abraham's faith journey. But we're also going to be taking a look at God and his faithfulness to Abraham. Now, to do that, I want to remind you guys of the context here. You know, sometimes we'll be studying through the Bible. This year, we're going to be studying through the entire Bible in one year. And that's kind of impossible to hit every single passage, right? So we're going to be kind of giving a framework. And the goal is to do this is uh, when you guys are at home and you're studying the book of Nahum and you're like, what? Where does this go? You'll have an idea of where to place that piece in the bigger puzzle of the Bible. And so just to kind of recap, we have uh, God loves, loves, his, uh, loves the world. He creates it, makes man, makes woman in his own image. And it doesn't take long before man messes it all up. Right? Sin enters the world, and as a result of his sin, we have death, we have pain, we have suffering. We, we have a sinful nature. And so this continues to spiral and kind of gets out of hand. And so all of a sudden, you know, God says, you know what, I'm going to do a soft reset. I'm going to use Noah. We're going to flood the earth. Get, but kind of, let's, let's get this thing a little bit back on track here. I know it's painting in very broad strokes, right? So you have Noah, and, and you have this amazing story. God floods the whole earth, 40 days, 40 nights on the ark. He gets out of the ark, and shortly thereafter, we hear he sins again. And when he gets off the ark, God says, hey, I want you to go out into all the world, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and subdue it. And so what does man do? No, 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 guys, we're not going to fill the land. Let's get together. We'll just gather right here. We'll build a tower to heaven. It's going to be great, guys. We don't need to listen to what God has to say. And so God looks down at these guys, these knuckleheads that are trying to build a tower to get to heaven. And he says, hey, good luck having the foremen talk to the laborers. And he gives them this language barrier, right? Well, right after the story of the Tower of Babel, same chapter, we run into this genealogy. And the genealogy connects Noah, through his son Shem, to Abraham. All right? Well, specifically to Terah, and Terah is the father of Abraham. All right? And this is where we're going to be picking up this morning. I want to ask you guys to open up your Bibles uh, to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We're going to be taking a look at this whole chapter this morning. And this is a particularly important passage in the Bible. It's what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. All right? 
It's going to be uh, one of the things that kind of informs the way that God interacts with humanity even to this day. All right? And it's, it's couched in this, this command with this set of promises that, uh, that God gives to Abram. And I want, before we get into reading it, I want to be clear. It's not God tells him to do something and then says, if you do this, then I will fulfill these promises. God says, it's an answer. He's like, do this. Look, I'm going to do this no matter what. God has a plan, and it's going to be up to Abram. It's going to be up to us how we're going to follow that, because it's going to happen. But are we going to be walking in his will or outside of his will? So, 12, 1 through 3 says, The Lord said to Abram, and I'm going to just say this real quick off the bat, Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, if you don't know that. I just want to explain the spoilers for later in the passage. Uh, but I might slip up. I probably will slip up and call Abram Abraham. But just so you know, that's what's happening. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, and to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this appears to actually be the second time that God has said this or revealed this to him. We see in the book of Acts that it actually takes place prior to him being in this nation of, of Haran, okay? It's back when he's actually in the city of Ur of the, of the Chaldeans, and that's an important thing because what this means is that God has told him, while he's in, in the land of the Ur, Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, hey, I want you to go out. I want you to leave your family. But he doesn't leave his family. Right? He takes his dad with him. And he doesn't go out into the land that he's going to show him. Instead, he kind of settles down in this nation of Her, or in, in the city of Haran. And so God has called Abram, but he does what so many of us like to do, and that's he begins to make compromises. See, when it comes to following the Lord, when it comes to obeying him, it, we're very quick to make compromises when it's convenient to us. We don't, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to do this big stepping out adventure. And so we know that God says, hey, go out into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. And we say... I think silent witness is good enough. I'll do that. Or we, we're, we, we're married. We know God's view of marriage, how it's this picture of him in the church. And we say, yeah, marriage is great as long as I'm happy. If I'm not happy, we start making some compromises. And we do this in a number of ways, whether that's lying, whether that's cheating, whether that's, I mean, you can name it, right? We find all these clever ways to compromise and the thing that God has ultimately called us to do. But let's talk about this. God is saying to Abram, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your family. Leave this place that you know, that you love. Well, the city of Ur is one that's known for, uh, it's, it's pagan, it's polytheistic. There's a lot of idol worshiping happening at this place. Um, but this is also the place that Abram is very comfortable Right? The, the Chaldeans are descendants of Shem. Abraham is a descendant of Shem. This isn't just like a city. This is like his family. 
These are the people he knew and he grew up with and he was raised with, right? It sounds kind of like this church, minus the idolatry and the pagan stuff, right? But there's a comfort, there's a familiarity with this. And on top of this, economically, it's great. A lot of time when we think of like ancient civilizations, we think, oh, they're living in like tents and shacks and, and it's a rough life and their robes. And yeah, that, some of that's true. But here in Ur, this is like a metropolis. There's two, possibly 200,000 people living in the city. It's a place that's renowned for its textiles. They have a sophisticated banking system. They have master jewelers. This is stuff that's been found through archaeological digs. Master jewelers are there, right? They have, um, for the middle class, it's especially great. There's a big trade, it's, it's a hub for trade, trade routes. So they constantly have this commerce coming in and out. Middle class people, guys, a lot of them had two-story homes. So it's pretty great if you're living in Ur, right? You got your family, your friends, everybody you've ever known living there, and it's a great town. It's going to make, like, top places to live in the middle Mediterranean area, right? So you can imagine how scary this would be for God to say, I want you to get up and leave. Leave all this behind. And then he says, go to a place I'll show you. Can you imagine, can you imagine picking up and moving and having no idea where you're moving to? Right? There's a, there's a sense, like us living in the U.S., we're like, oh, well, you know, I'll line up my job, and I'll get a mortgage, or I'll get a place to stay, and then I'll, then I'll relocate my family and, and everybody I care about, right? And we know that wherever we go, we're probably going to have access to groceries. We're probably going to have access to electricity and running water. But these things aren't assured here. God says, I want you to get up and go. That's the command. But then he says, I'm going to show you. You don't know it yet. I'm not going to be specific with you yet. And so this is going to take a big step of faith. You know, Abram might even look at the world around him and, and see, like, oh, there's, like, idols. And, and yeah, there, things aren't great here, in Ur, but, you know, religiously, but it's a pretty great place. And, and there's a sense that it's like, well, it's like the devil you know, right? At least I know what I'm getting while I'm here. I don't know what I'm getting out there. So Abram is called to take this massive, this massive leap of faith to wherever God's going to reveal. So that's the, that's the first part of the six-part promise God gives. He says, I will show you. Then he says, I will make you a great nation. Now, there's several things you need for a great nation, but two of the key things are land and people, right? Now, problems exist. Because we're introduced to Sarai, Abram's wife, in Genesis 11, like right at the end of it. We know exactly two things about Sarai at this point. The Bible does an interesting thing. We're going to find out she is drop-dead gorgeous, so much so that the entire nation of Egypt is like, whoa, who's this chick, right? And he catch, she catches Pharaoh's eye. There's a lot to say about Sarai, but the two things we know is she's married to Abram and she's barren. Okay, God, how are you going to work that out? How are you going to work out making him a great nation when he can't really have kids? And, like I said, you need land. You're calling him out of his inheritance, calling him out of the land that has been his, and you're calling him into a new place that's likely settled by other people? How's that going to work out? 
But these are the promises God makes. He says, I'm going to make your name great. Spoilers, guys. The Bible is one of the top, most popular books in the world. It is the most popular book in the world, right? Abraham is one of the most popular characters within that book, right? So we know that this is going to happen, right? Um, but it says, I'm going to make a, be a blessing to those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who dishonor you. Now, you'll see this played out a lot in the Bible, but it's also important to know this promise still exists. And it's because of this very promise that the U.S. has historically been very friendly towards Israel and even played a big role in giving them their land back after World War II, right? So it's something to bear in mind that God will curse those who dishonor and he's going to bless those who bless them. There's a sense of God is going to offer protection for his people and preservation for his people. And we will see this played out time and time again as we go through this study. The last thing it says, in you all families of earth will be blessed. And Abraham doesn't realize it at this point, but this is, a, this is kind of a prophetic promise. And what God's essentially saying is, look, through you, one day, the Messiah is going to come. Your great, 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 I don't know how many greats, is going to be Jesus. And through him, it'll be a blessing to all the nations. It's important to know that these promises God's giving Abram aren't because he is a bastion of faith. Right? He's, he's going to be sort of answering God's call here. But God instead is giving this because he is gracious. And it's not a conditional promise. But this is what God is, is calling or requiring of Abram. <clears throat> Next passage, we'll see Abram's response. Verses 4 through 9, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 70 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, so his servants. And they set out from the land of Canaan, and they, arri and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there uh, to the Lord, who appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. When Abram set out, uh, set out and continued toward Negev. Now, to Abram's credit, he does it. Right? He goes out. He doesn't quite do it perfectly, right? He kind of is like, all right, I'm going to bring my entourage with me. Right? But he takes this bold step of faith and he goes out. And he arrives at the this, this city of Shechem. And I want you to imagine this. Shechem is this, this city, but it's nestled in between these two mountains, Mount Elba and Mount Gerizim. Right? And down there in the valley between these two mountains is a Canaanite city. Right? It is a land that's of, of people who are probably not going to be too thrilled that you're going to be claiming it. Right? It's got to be a really surreal situation that, that Abram's in here. And a um, uh, quick side note, Canaanites are going to be Ham's kids, and there's a, whole, there's a whole history. I'm not going to go into that right now. But 
God has made this promise. He's looking down into this land. These are, this is going to be the land I give you. And there's going to be this, this sense of, like, excitement, right? Abram now knows part of his destination. He's walking around this land. He's got a promise in his heart. But, you know, one of the things that God seems to do a lot is when God makes a promise, when he blesses us, God always wants to draw us closer to him. He always wants to grow our faith in him. Right? And sometimes in our lives, that involves a test. A lot of us try to resist these. We try to run from trials and tests. We don't like them. They're not comfortable. Right? Pointing back to what I was saying in the, the beginning with exercise, exercise is hard work, right? You're tearing apart the muscle fibers that like new muscle can grow. It's not the, the most enjoyable of processes. Well, trials is the same way. A lot of time we try to run from them. We don't like them. We sit there and like get angry with God that he's put these things in our path. But the reality is trials is a, one of the ways that God uses us to grow our faith. And I want to be clear. Trials is not the same thing as a temptation. A trial is something that God allows in our lives to grow us to become more like him, to place our trust and our faith in him and to follow him through it. Whereas temptation is something that is usually manufactured within our own hearts and pulls us away from him. Okay? So, there's going to be a test. James uh, 1, 2 through 3 talks about this very, uh, this very uh, type of test. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, a lot of the time when we face trials, our first inclination isn't to sit there and say, all right, God, how are you going to make me perfect and complete? All right, God, how are you going to be glorified in this? Instead, our tendency is to say, God, why are you doing this to me? I think it's really important for us to have a different understanding of when hard times come, God can use those things to do great things through us. So let's talk about this test he gives him here. Uh, verses 10 uh, through 16. It says, now there is a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live, the, uh, live there for a while because the famine was severe. And he was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they're going to kill me, but, uh, but will let you live. Say that you are my sister, so that I, can, I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very beautiful. And when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, let's talk a little bit about this test that he's facing. All right, God has just said, this is the land I'm going to give you. It almost seems like immediately there's a famine, right? We don't know what's happening here, but there's like a food shortage. There's a scarcity. It could be a drought. It could be locusts. But Abraham is the patriarch of his family. He's just led these people out. He's responsible for them. He's got to think of a solution and quick, right? What are they going to eat? People are going to start starving. The animals are going to die off and we'll be next. And so Abraham comes up with this scheme. I know 
the Nile runs through Egypt and it's going to be really lush and beautiful and they probably have an abundance of food there. That's where we'll go. He begins kind of this, this scheming here. The thing is, we have to ask ourselves, was the land that God just provided for you, the land that God said you're going you're gonna to inherit, was that not good enough? Was there going to be a chance where like, you, like the, th- the very thing that God's providing you with is not sufficient? Abram, for whatever reason, appears to lack some faith here, right? If, if I said to you, like, hey, like, is God good enough? Is God going to provide for you in this trial? Like the Sunday school answer is yes, of course he's going to. Obviously God's good. Obviously he's going to provide. But when you're in that moment and you don't see the other side, I don't know. Right? We allow these doubts of the promises of God to creep in. We allow our actions to be dictated by these fears. And fear and doubt are two of the great com- combatants of, of faith. And so he begins to scheme and make his own plans, right? He, he, there's this idea that God is not going to be providing. There's a book by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And it talks in that book about this idea of like how we allow our fears on a day-to-day basis to control our actions rather than our fear of God and our reverence and our understanding of who he is. We're more concerned about what other people will think and so we allow that to dictate what we do. Well, I think in a very similar way, Abram, he's trying to come up with a solution. He, He wants to fix this problem and you'll notice he's not going to God. He's not consulting God with what to do here. I've come to realize that a lot of the time in our lives, in our faith walk, a lack of prayer equals a lack of humility. What I mean by that is a lot of time you and I tend to think, like, I don't need to pray. I can get through the day just fine. I, don't, I, I can solve this problem on my own. And so we kind of like push this idea of prayer and, and submission to God and this idea of like humbling ourselves before him off to the side, and we're like, you know what? I got this, God. I don't need you. James 1.4 points to something that Abram really should have done. Right after talking about those trials, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If we want to grow in our faith, We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people who are consulting God and going to him with what's on our hearts, with what lies lies before us. See, Abram's plan is, because it's rooted in this fear, it it goes down this really weird path of of deception, right? He's not thinking about consulting God. He's thinking about self-preservation. He's thinking, "I I can solve this. I'll fix this on my own. And if you think about what happens here, like, this conversation with Sarai is wild, right? Where Abram's looking at his wife and like, hey, sweetheart, you're beautiful. Maybe too beautiful, though. People might kill me because of it, so just tell them, like, I'm your brother. It'll be cool. There's no thought of Sarai in this situation, right? What's going to happen to her? And as I said before, this promise that God's given of being, having a land in Asia, well, Abram's plan involves, you know what, that land... 
I, I'm not worried about that land right now. You know what? All those people I need to have nation, my, here's my wife. You know what? I'm not worried about her right now. And so he ends up making these, um, kind of this, abandoning this hope of the promise that God has given him. How are you when your faith is tested? Do we tend to fall into this camp with Abraham? Do we tend to try to fix it ourselves and, and we're just going to muscle through it and we're going we're gonna to persevere and we're going we're gonna to come up with these different schemes, these plans, and if it involves lying, so be it. Or do we stop and humble ourselves? See, a lot of us want to say, Jesus, it's nice when you take the wheel, but I prefer that you're a backseat driver. A lot of us want to maintain that sense, that sense of control, but we know that God is ultimately the one in control, and God is going to work through this very story despite Abram's actions. And you have to wonder how much better it would have been if he had just followed what God said. And so Abram finds himself in this situation where his wife is now married to the Pharaoh. So God has to supernaturally intervene here. So picking up in verse 17, we'll go through 3, 4. It says, But the Lord inflicted a serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, oh, she's my sister? So I took her to be, so I took her to be my wife. Now, now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then the Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went to the Egypt, to the Negev, and his wife and everything he had, and Lot with, went with them. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from a place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, before we get into that redemptive story, sometimes when we're facing trials, it's hard to see what God's doing. And God does these things where he does these multi-tiered things. He's working on developing the faith of this man who he's going to base, he's going to build his entire people off of. But he also, there's kind of a cool thing here. Some of you guys may have picked up on what's happening with the nation of Egypt. Because there's a big parallel between what happens with Abram in Egypt and what happens to his descendants, Israel, in Egypt, right? First of all, both people facing a famine. That's what leads them to Egypt. They think, oh, Egypt's got food stocks. We'll go down there. That's gonna, that'll help us. When they get there, the men are at risk, right? The Pharaoh in Exodus is killing the babies. Men are at risk. The women are going to be used as brides, there's going to be uh, plagues that are going to be sent. There's going to be a plundering of Egypt in both situations. In both situations, they're going to be expelled from Egypt. And in both situations, they're going to end up in Negev. Right? Huge parallels. And there's a cool part of this where God, the, the people uh, of Israel, the Jews who are in captivity in Egypt, can look at this story of their father, Abraham. And when they see God send the plagues, you have to believe they, they know. All right, this, this is what God used to free Abram. I bet this is what he's going to use to free us. And so there's, there's almost this parallel that, that God uses to like kind of help grow their faith. And it's kind of this encouragement because we can know that God works good through all these situations. Now, 
It's, in, it's funny, right? Abram's sitting here. There's a big disaster. There's a famine land. We'd have no reason to think that's over. But what happens with Abram? He's sent right back to the very place where he worshiped God. And now, now we see him worshiping as he should have done way before, right? God humbles this man. He takes it. He's like, no, no, no. Your plans aren't working out so hot. Get back here, buddy. And God's incredibly gracious to him here. And you have to imagine that Abram is in confession. And when he makes the sacrifice and worships the Lord, there's this, there's this idea of confessing, God, I, I made my own plans. We all know the, the verse, 1 John 1, 8 through 9, says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. See, it's not a matter of saying like, you know what, if I just do better, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to come up with a new plan. Part of us having faith is, is, is trusting in God, is surrendering our plans to him, recognizing that, like, you know what? I don't have this. That's the cool thing about these trials. When we succeed, we get to see how God worked through us and in spite of us and brought to fruition his promises. When we fail, we still get to see how God was true to his promises, but now we have a humble heart where we have to trust in him more. God can work in amazing ways through our brokenness and our humility. John 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. As a human, as a man, that passage runs so contrary to what I want to do. Right? If I'm being honest, this idea of leaning not on my own understanding... What man doesn't think they're right all the time, right? And it's not an easy pill to swallow. To, to say, all right, God, like, I know what I would do in this situation. What would you have me do, Lord? Lead me. God, give me the boldness that you would have to glorify you this day. How would you want me to live my life for you today? We can see Abram and the compromises he makes along this way and, and his struggle in faith and how he's tried to scheme to make his own plans and how he's controlled by this fear and this doubt. But there's this cool juxtaposition here where we see where Abram struggles with his faith, God remains totally faithful to his promises. Reviewing those promises with you again, God says, I'm going to show you, the, show you where you're going to go. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your name is going to be great. Now, I don't want to spoil things too much for you guys because we're going to continue the study with Abram, but God does give them the land. And this is a constant back and forth, right? Israel falls out of favor. They disobey God. And so God says, you know what? Like, yes, you're going to have the land. I'm going to continue to bring you back. I'm going to continue to preserve my people. But that doesn't mean there's not suffering in the meantime when they don't follow what he is calling them to do. So the reality is that God will be faithful to answer every promise and, and do all the things he said he's going to do. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are, When we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And in Hebrews 11, we see this really cool summation of the life of Abram. This is what they sometimes refer to as like the faith hall of heroes here. But listen to what it says about Abram and his life. It says, By faith, 
Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, he went, uh, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has eternal foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. I love that part, that, that, that verse uh, 10 right there. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer was bu and builder is God. See, there's something cool that we can sometimes miss in this passage. Where Abram goes to set up this altar, to worship God, it says he's between the cities of Ai and the city of Bethel. And Ai means ruins, all right? And it's a picture of the world and all that it has to offer. Bethel means city of God. So there's this idea here that Abram is now finding himself in this place between not being in the world, right? He's not of that world, he, but he's also not yet in the city of God, not yet in the eternal home. He's looking forward to that. Just like you and I, right? We find ourselves, we're, 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 we know we're not called to be of this world, but we're in it still, and we still have our hope. We're looking for this eternal kingdom. And what does he do in the meantime? What does he do right there in that space in between? He sets up an altar and worships God. Which is the same thing you and I are called to do. Guys, we're called to be living lives of faith, living lives of worship. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this morning with these questions for you. How is your faith doing? How are you growing in your faith? Are you walking in obedience? When trials come, are we quick to try to find a fix? Or do we try to get out of it, find comfort? Do we question God? Or will we follow where he leads us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, I thank you that because you are faithful to your promises and faithful to who you are, we can place our faith in you. God, I pray that you will help us all to grow in our faith and, and to walk lives that are submissive and, and, and obedient to you, Lord. God, we thank you for the way that you worked in the life of Abram, the way that you continuously had patience, that you provided for him. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk in obedience to you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.